You are listening to the Keep Going Podcast, where we keep going after the heart of God because He is our only hope. I'm Nika Maples. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 2. We're in a series called Walk Through the Psalms. This episode focuses on Psalms 8 through 14. Just a note, I use the New Living Translation as my primary text because it's readable, and I don't approach these podcasts as a scholar, but as a lover of the Word who wants to share simple observations from my own daily Bible reading. To begin today, let's review last week's podcast. I have five points quickly. Number one, we discussed the fact that Psalms is comprised of five books that correspond to the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible. Number two, because we are in the first book of the Psalms, we looked at Genesis when Adam and Eve were faced with a choice to obey God or disobey him by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Number three, we connected that tree to the tree described in the first chapter of Psalms, which offers us the same choice, should we obey or disobey. Number four, one of the themes of Psalms 1 through 7 is separation, because the godly and the wicked are separated by two distinct paths, one leading to life and the other leading to destruction. Number five, our touchstone verse in the last podcast was Psalms 1, 3. The godly are like trees planted along a riverbank, bearing fruit each season without fail. Bearing fruit each season without fail, it reads. Oh, the promise of bearing fruit. And this is not the only place we find a fruit-bearing promise. There is another on the other side of Psalms in the New Testament when Jesus says, Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Obviously, the Bible is consistent on this point. We are supposed to bear fruit, and a lot of it. So what does it mean to bear fruit? It is ironic, but today we will learn about fruit-bearing from a farmer. The first book of the Psalms continues to unfold with another eerie nod to the first book of the Bible. Let's go back to Genesis. In chapter 4, Adam and Eve have children, two boys, Cain, who grows up and becomes a farmer, and Abel, who becomes a shepherd. Time passes, and Cain brings the Lord, I quote, a gift of his farm produce. Notice there are no adjectives there. Cain's offering doesn't stand out as being significant. But Abel, we're told, brings several choice lambs from the best of his flock. Choice and best, two adjectives to distinguish Abel's gift as being thoughtfully considered an intentional sacrifice. We find out God accepts Abel's heartfelt gift, but rejects Cain's obligatory or dutiful offering. Cain gets angry about this, and we hear the Lord both warn and reassure him. He says, You will be accepted if you respond in the right way, but if you refuse to respond correctly, then watch out. Sin is waiting to attack and destroy you, and you must subdue it. There it is. It's time for a decision again. 
For Kane, there is a figurative fork in the road and a traffic sign with two arrows that reads, the godly this way, the wicked that way. He has to decide. Cain ignores God's warning from heaven. He doesn't pay attention to the signs. The son of Adam and Eve makes the same choice his parents did. He disobeys. He doesn't take caution to get back on the best road and offer a heartfelt and intentional gift to God. Instead, he gives up and he kills his brother. Next, God casually asks Cain about Abel, but of course... God already knows about Abel. So when Cain mutters some flimsy self-defense like, how am I supposed to know where my brother is? God clears up Cain's confusion. He already knows what happened. How does God know about the murder? Well, God is omnipresent. So he saw it all from beginning to end because he was there. And he doesn't witness it passively either. What he says next shows his deep concern and puts the emphasis on his relationship with Abel. He says to Cain, listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now, lest you think we have gone full throttle into Genesis, let me assure you we are still on a sure and steady course through the Psalms. We're moving forward. It's just that the same themes that are in this murder story in Genesis are actually found in this section of Psalms. Do you see it? Three themes repeat. Number one, God is all-seeing. Number two, God adjudicates, meaning that he judges. And number three, God avenges. There are too many verses in Psalms chapter 8 through 14 that support these themes. I'm not going to list them all, but I will provide one supporting verse for each of these themes, just so you get the picture. God is all-seeing. The Lord watches everything closely, examining everyone on earth. The Lord examines both the righteous and the wicked. God adjudicates. But the Lord reigns forever, executing judgment from his throne. He will judge the world with justice, and he will rule the nations with fairness. God avenges. He who avenges murder cares for the helpless. He does not ignore those who cry for help. One attribute leads to the next one. God is all-seeing, overlooking nothing. He is adjudicating, making true and fair judgment about what he sees. And he is avenging, taking disciplinary action based on his judgments. David, the writer of most of the Psalms in this section, no doubt held to the story of Cain and Abel as a comfort when he was under attack himself. God is just, and his justice isn't cold and unfeeling. It is based on his holiness, but it is fueled by his passion for his children. He loves us. When we cry out about injustice on the earth, about oppression, about anything, he rises up. He swooped in to deliver justice because he heard Abel's blood crying from the ground. How much more will he swoop in to deliver justice when he hears the cries of our living tears? This is interesting. Abel's blood is mentioned more than once, more than twice in the Bible. 
In Hebrews 11, we read, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. When I read this, I thought of something my friend's grandmother used to say. My friend and I used to smile when her precious grandmother would talk to a brand new mother. Blessings, she would say. You have just launched a soul into eternity. In other words, the life of that bundle in your arms will never end. Now, that's not an overwhelming thought to a new parent or anything. No pressure at all. But it's true. You and I are already launched into eternity. We're going to live forever, no matter the path we take. And no matter how long it takes, God will never forget to avenge the ones who take the godly path. When we experience injustice, we can trust, like David did, God hears our cries. Sometimes we may want to say, like David did, How long, O Lord? How long? No matter how long it takes, the wicked will never get away with anything they do to a child of God, not even if they try to defend themselves like Cain did and like so many of David's enemies did. Do you see all of the foolish talk in this section? People keep thinking it doesn't matter what they do to the children of God, but they don't know the story of Cain and Abel. Oh, it matters, all right. God sees it, and he hears it, and he's coming. That is what is so comforting to David in his times of trouble in the Psalms. As he writes this section, he makes it clear that he trusts the great judge. He knows that God's passionate defense of Abel was due to his close relationship with Abel. David had a close relationship with God, too, so he knew that by coming to the great judge in prayer, he eventually would be vindicated. Abel's blood cried out for justice, and he got it. David's tears cried out for justice, and he would get it, too. We will get it, too. Now, are you ready for this? In Hebrews 12, we see Abel's speaking blood again, and we see someone else with speaking blood. But justice isn't the only thing this blood is asking for. Let me read it. You have come to God, the judge of all, and to Jesus, the mediator, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? We have something that even David didn't. We know that we have been covered with the speaking blood of Christ so that when we come into the presence of the great judge, Jesus' blood not only asks for justice on our behalf, it speaks a better word. It asks for forgiveness on our behalf. Remember the crucifixion with blood streaming down his face and from his hands and feet? Jesus cried out, Give me justice, Lord. No. With his last breath, he cried out, Lord, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Only Jesus' blood can speak forgiveness. Let's see to it that we do not refuse him who speaks. Oh, one more thing. There is another glaring link between this section of Psalms and Genesis 4. Do you notice it? God said to Cain, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. 
And in Psalms 10, the writer mentions his enemies, saying, They are always searching for some helpless victim. Like lions, they crouch silently, waiting to pounce on the helpless. The Pentateuch and the Psalms are connected again. But just like a Jinsu Knives commercial, I have to say, wait, there's more. The New Testament is connected here too. Because in 1 Peter 5, we read, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Maybe David and the other psalmists were talking about their visible flesh and blood enemies when they begged God for vengeance. But when I read the psalms, that is not the way I apply them to my life. I've had a few people who have done me wrong over the years, but I've never had anyone who was hunting me, at least not any human. When I read the psalms, I'm constantly thinking of the word enemies in terms of the enemy and his evil hordes. Demons are the ones hunting me, trying to oppress me. Even if I had a human nemesis who sought to ruin my life, I think I would just beg God to make them leave me alone. I wouldn't ask God to break their arms and knock out their teeth like we read in the Psalms. But these spiritual invisible enemies of ours, I do want to defeat them any way I can. And God tells me it is possible. Sin is crouching at your door, he told Cain, and you must master it. We can always master temptation and sin and leap free from the traps of our enemies. Some people fear the power of Satan, but listen, he is not on an equal plane with God. They are nowhere near the same. God is the creator. He has always existed. Satan has not always existed. He is a God-created being who faced the same fork in the road that we face, only he took the wrong path. He took the way that leads to destruction instead of life. You know how Satan is often pictured as a snake with a forked tongue, and he's drawn in cartoons as carrying a pitchfork? Really, he's more interested in forks in the road than pitchforks. He's hoping that we will eventually get on the wrong path with him. Misery loves company, but you and I never have to join him. When it comes to sin, we can master it. Think of it this way. I love to sew. I started making dresses when I was in sixth grade. And at this point in my life, I have lost count of the number of garments I have made. Skirts, pants, pajamas, evening dresses, costumes... Once, I even made a full-blown furry panther mascot uniform, complete with enormous foam-stuffed head. Now, I don't know if you so close, but take it from this lifetime seamstress, nothing I have ever created has moved on its own. The garments just lie there, arms still, legs limp. They are harmless, even the panther. Only one thing makes a difference when I'm in them. The things I have created only have life if I am in them. Let me say it again. The things I have created only have life if I am in them. The things I have created only have life. They only have power if I am in them. Without me, they can't even move. Yes, 
That panther costume with no one inside is just a pile of zippers and fuzz. When the Bible says that our enemies are like lions, prowling and crouching and seeking to destroy the unaware, please picture my panther costume. Our enemy seeks people who are unaware because people who are aware know that he may act like a big cat, but he doesn't have the creator's life in him. Who does? We do. He doesn't have the creator's power in him, but we do. And where do we get that life and power? The same place Abel and David got their life and power from their close relationship with God. Cain didn't have to kill his brother. God told him that he could have mastered that temptation. But Cain didn't prioritize his relationship with God. And we can tell because of the obligatory and dutiful offering of crops and produce that he brought as a gift. The evidence of Abel's relationship is that he wanted to bring his choice lambs, the best of his flock. Could this apply to us? When we see prayer, praise, or Bible reading as an obligation or a duty, is that an empty offering that God doesn't really want and may not accept? But when we see prayer, praise, or Bible reading as a choice part of our day, as the best use of our time, then is it a heartfelt offering that God not only accepts, but even enjoys? I think so. And as we abide in him, he fills us with life so that we can bear fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, if only Cain had had the fruit of self-control. He had a lot of crops and produce but not the kind he needed. I told you we would learn the importance of bearing fruit from a farmer. I hope you've been enjoying your daily reading of the Psalms. If you're not on my email list, go to nikamaples.com to sign up and receive your Psalms reading schedule and a free hope poster each month. I invite your questions and comments through my Facebook page or in the comments section on my blog. The show notes for this podcast are found at nikamaples.com forward slash S1E2 for season one, episode two. And now may God, the source of hope, fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk soon. Until then, keep going. How long, oh Lord, will you forget me?